Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Like many of you, I grew up singing this song. But though I've known the song my whole life, I'm on a journey to really believe it's true in my heart. I grew up a big fish in the small pond of Enid, Oklahoma. I was raised in a Christian environment, and I'm thankful for that. We went to church regularly as a family, had family devotions and bedtime prayers. I asked Jesus to come into my heart as a preschooler in Sunday school. I started having quiet times on my own as a teenager and got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship when I went away to college, which is where I met my wonderful husband, Camper. I'm grateful for the background in scripture that I received during my growing up years. But what I believed then was not the gospel, but actually moralism. I thought the Bible was primarily about us and what we're supposed to do, rather than being about God and what he has already done. I knew Jesus died for my sins and that I needed to believe and trust in him so I would go to heaven when I died. But after Jesus saved me, I thought it was up to me to live a good life and obey him out of duty and obligation. I thought if I did the right things, avoided bad things, and had faith, then God would bless me. In fact, he would be obligated to bless me. I'm like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I didn't rebel outwardly. I was always a good kid. I looked at sin as only behavior, not an attitude of the heart. I remember thinking, I'm a pretty good person. I don't lie, cheat, or steal. I've never murdered anyone. Compared to everyone else around me, I'm doing okay. But like the older brother in that parable, what I really wanted was not relationship with the Father, but the things I knew he could give me. And yet, because our Heavenly Father is so gracious, he still pursues me, just like he pursued the older brother in that parable. Once I got into junior high and high school, I started achieving academically, socially, athletically, and that was a great feeling. The achieving carried over somewhat into college, although that was a much bigger pond than Enid with lots of big and bigger fish. Over time, achievement and my ability to get things right became my primary identity. I was glad to be a Christian, but really my functional trust was not in Jesus, but in my ability to achieve the things I wanted to achieve. While we were living in Vancouver, Canada, I began to really want to know the gospel in my heart. Part of that was meeting a few people who had an assurance and an ability to speak the gospel into my life that I found intriguing. It was also in Vancouver that Camper and I decided we'd have kids. We started trying, but it wasn't working out. And then after some time and various doctor's visits, we were diagnosed with infertility. This was a blow to my achievement paradigm. Here was something that should be natural and easy, but I could not do it. Our culture tells us, believe in yourself, or if you work hard enough and keep trying, your dreams will come true. But that wouldn't work, and it's not the gospel. Not only that, but I realized that God was not obligated, and nowhere in scripture does he promise to give believers children. And I started to wrestle with weighty questions. Is God really good? Is he loving if he won't give us the desire of our hearts? But through month after month, and even year after year of disappointment, I was not alone. God was always there. 
I felt his care through his word, prayer, books I read, and divine appointments with other believers. And there was Camper too, of course. Even though this is my testimony, so much of it is his story too. Going through infertility brought us closer together. At the time, we didn't share our struggles with many people because we felt too raw and vulnerable, and we feared insensitivity and even judgment. However, we did tell a few close friends and our families, and those folks prayed with, for us and cried with us and finally celebrated with us. Ultimately, we were able to have our children hope, tie, and mercy, and I'm so thankful for them. Many people in the world, and even in this room today, deal with issues that are extremely painful, seemingly hopeless, and ongoing. In the midst of our struggles with infertility and then the unexpected death of my dad, I read a book by Gerald Sitzer, whose wife, mother, and daughter were all killed in a collision with a drunk driver. I appreciate what he has to say about loss in his book, A Grace Disguised. He writes, I question whether experiences of severe loss could be quantified and compared. Loss is loss, whatever the circumstances. All losses are bad, only bad in different ways. No two losses are ever the same. Each loss stands on its own and inflicts a unique kind of pain. The right question is not whose is worse, but what meaning can be gained from suffering and how can we grow through suffering? Well, for me, my struggle with infertility exposed my inability to achieve. It drove me to the gospel, to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul Miller, in his new book, A Loving Life, describes the gospel view of history as a J-curve. The letter J begins, goes down, and then curves up. The J-curve begins with life, then goes down into death, and then up into resurrection. Jesus lived a J-curve. Miller explains, seeing the gospel as this type of journey remaps our stories by embedding them in the larger story of Jesus' death and resurrection. His eternal normal becomes our everyday normal. But honestly, I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't want to die to the things I want that I think would be best for me. Yes, God works for our good and his glory, but often what I want is for him to work for my good and my glory. If I map out my story just in terms of infertility, it appears to end neatly. I was going along in life doing pretty well, then I came up against infertility, had some rough years, and loss, death, but ultimately we had three healthy children. That was a resurrection. But actually, infertility wasn't the root issue. More deeply, it exposed my idol of achievement. So when things aren't going well, like I have disappointments, hurts in relationships, difficulty with my kids, or even with my husband, I often find myself running or wanting to run back to achievement to save me and help me feel safe. Now, let me be clear. It's not that achievement is a bad thing. It's good to use and develop our talents and gifts, but it can't be our ultimate thing, the thing we look to to save us and give us worth. There's a verse in the book of Jonah that Jonah prays when he's in the belly of the fish. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Well, so often that's me. I want to cling to my achievements and my ability to get things right instead of trusting in God's extravagant and lavish grace. These days, achievement looks different in my life than it used to. 
I'm not excelling in the classroom or on the tennis court. I'm not in a high-paying, high-prestige career. I don't even work outside our home. But I realize I can turn anything into an achievement. The way I parent, the type of food I give my family, how clean my house is, how well my children behave, and on and on and on. Then when things are going well, I feel good about myself. And when things are going badly, I feel down and discouraged. In other words, my successes become my savior and my failures become my judge. I'm tossed to and fro between arrogance and despair. And I don't rest in my identity as God's beloved daughter. A few years ago, Camper and I were shepherded through the Sonship Discipleship course. During that time, I started seeing more and more of the holiness of God and the depth of my sin and how much I need grace and forgiveness every day. My achievements and good deeds can't bridge the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness. They can't change my heart, but Jesus can, and he does. He is so quick to forgive when I recognize my sin and repent. I'm in a constant process of repentance and faith. But over time, I'm learning to inhabit the truth that my righteousness is not based on what I do, but on what Jesus has already done for me. That brings freedom. Freedom to get off the achievement treadmill. Freedom from competition and comparison. It brings peace. It brings resurrection joy. Each night when our kids go to bed, we sing Jesus Loves Me with them, but Camper has changed the words a bit because it's not just a children's song. It's not just a song about little ones. It's a song for all of us. Now we sing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. Broken ones to him belong. That's all of us. We are weak, but he is strong. And that's the truth of the gospel. For as Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Thanks be to God.